And uh, we've been talking about looking at church and the element of movement when we think about what it means uh, to be the church. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've looked at different angles on that. How really, as this slide, oh, the slide we had up uh, initially just a moment ago had on, they're on the move for God's glory. That when we think about what is God on the move for in and through the life of his church, it is ultimately for his glory. We've looked at what it means for his mission. And in order to do that for his mission uh, in the world, to have uh, his, his grace and his favor go to all nations, that can only be done in his power. So we've talked about a many, uh, several different angles about what it means to be a people through whom God is on the move. Um, if you guys want to put up that next slide there, you can see uh, we talked at one point where Jesus spoke about us uh, being his people and us abiding in him. And he says the purpose of that is that we would, among other things in John's Gospel chapter uh, 15, is that we would bear much fruit. This idea of it not just ending with us and ending with the disciples in the first century, uh, but he talked about those who would believe through them as that whole upper room discourse uh, went on. In fact, we looked at uh, this verse in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, a few weeks ago. I tell you that you are Peter. When, when Peter made the statement of Jesus, when he asked, who do the people say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, the source of salvation, the king. And he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Again, that idea of growth, that idea of movement. And so... If you look at that first line of the, the sheets you've been handed out this morning, have a handout for you this week. When we think about this idea of movement, movement as a foundational characteristic of our understanding of church, when we understand that this is an essential dynamic of it, it will always entail growth of some kind. Growth of some kind. In fact, if you've noticed on the, uh, the building recently in the last few weeks on the front there and then as you come in the rear entrance, uh, I should have snapped a picture of it and put it up here for you guys to see. But we, we have this statement you've been hearing from time to time about why we're here. We're here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. We're here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. It's right there in this statement by which we say is supposed to kind of define and motivate us. And there's different ways we can think about growth. And uh, one is we think about growth, and this might be your predisposition. You think, when we talk about an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus, and we get in on that, you think of a deepening faith. You think of a transformed life, and we sang about that tonight, and that is absolutely uh, an element. But there's a different element that I want us to talk about tonight. Um, and that is the idea of not just growth as a deepening of faith, but as you look at these verses where Jesus says, I will build my church. Uh, we've looked at verses where he says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then the other ends of the earth. There's this idea of growth as an extending and an expanding of the influence of the gospel to new people and to new places. And as I say that, even in the room, perhaps there's a response that, if you go to the next slide, guys, may feel somewhat like this. All right? Especially because if you've been around church for any length of time and you're thinking, even me, I was the one delivering it, and I'll own this as a person from a, not this country, but from another part of the world where sometimes there is an emphasis that bigger is better. Or that uh, there's an unhealthy focus on numbers for numbers sake. But I want to suggest this evening that a deepening growth and an extending, expanding growth should not be opposed to one another. I wish I had a coin in my pocket. I gave my last coin to my son on Friday evening so he could get tuck at JF. So I have nothing in my pockets right now. Um, but we frequently, when we talked about uh, faith and some different doctrinal things earlier in the year, talked about repentance and faith. And some will say how repentance and faith are like two sides of the same coin. 
in a sense, deepening growth and expanding growth are all part of the same coin. A deepening faith connects with what God's mission is, like we've been talking about. That's why we laid this groundwork for the last few weeks. That God is on the move for his glory. He has a mission to extend his, his blessings to the nations by bringing them back into relationship with him. That's accomplished by his power. And so implicit in that is not just that there's a, a select that are really deep in their faith, but those who are growing closer to his heart desire for that blessing to go to others. That's, his, that's the vision, that's the, that's the mission you see developing throughout all of Scripture. And so a deepening faith should not be held in opposition to an extending and an expanding faith. If we focus on one to the neglect of the other, we will be unhealthy in some respect. We need both. So, everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> There's no need for us to be afraid. In fact, we're going to see as we come to Scripture tonight um, about some ways that uh, God was on the move in the early church and how that led to growth. But I'd like for us to take a quick peek at a chart that I prepared and have on the screens there for you. Because you might be asking yourself the question, if movement as a foundational characteristic of our understanding of church entails growth, then how are things going in the world for the church? Now I put up a chart and I've purposely covered where these letters are, were names of different, or, different denominations, different movements of churches in the United Kingdom. And there was a study that was done about annual change in UK church membership from 2015 to 2020. So over five years, just a few years ago. And interestingly, these obviously below this line is declining, shrinking in membership. And this line over that's positive, you can see there is positive growth in some form or fashion. Interesting note too, organizations that are pre-1900 by and large are experiencing a lot of decline in the context of the United Kingdom. I left one uncovered. I hope that's okay. Because this is a network of churches that we are affiliated and associated with. And there's a dynamic that's happening here that there is growth happening over here. Interesting, you look at other parts of the world and you could arguably say that places where it would seem even more hostile than some people have argued places like secular Western Europe are to the gospel, Places like in China, the gospel is growing fastest. How is that possible? God is the one who's bringing the growth. But when we think about this kind of growth, and this again, it's looking at numerical growth. But if we think about that kind of growth as two sides of the same coin, of a spiritual vitality as well as a numeric growth, they go together. What is contributing to this dynamic? And I would like to say that my speculation, not getting into anything uh, terribly assertive tonight, and I could be poked and challenged around all of this, there's a number of factors happening. That there is some from over here that are starting to migrate over here, if that makes sense. That there is a portion of kind of growth we're going to talk about in just a moment of people who are saying, I don't belong over here anymore for various reasons. And they're starting, but this is all kind of like, if I could put it this way, rearranging the furniture that's already in the house. Does that make sense? When in reality, the type of growth we're also going to talk about tonight, what it means by growing with new life, is it's like, it's time to have some new stuff added to this scene. And this picture. So what are the ways, what's the type of growth that happens? And missiologists, people who deal with how the gospel goes out to all different places of the world, will tell you there's three different kinds of growth. There should be a circle up. There you go. Biological growth. This one's not too hard to figure out. In fact, we have some of that going on in the life of the church right now, don't we? Right? You see some people who are obviously expecting. And that's wonderful growth. That's great as people have children and they come into godly families and all these different things. Biological growth is definitely one way that 
people come into church. There's another one, if you could put that one up, and that's what's called transfer. What I was just talking about a second ago. And these are not necessarily bad. The situation where for various circumstances, maybe somebody moves to a new community or something unfortunately has happened in the life of their church and it's really not a healthy place for them to be anymore and we try to work and understand and make sure people are doing these things in a healthy way. But God, God is the one who is, as we've said earlier, sovereign. He rules and reigns. He, he moves things about as he chooses. And there are times when he brings people from one church to another for his sovereign purposes. And this is okay. However, I would, I would surmise and experience over about 20 some odd, near, nearing 30 years of pastoral ministry has told me, if this is the only two kinds of growth you have, you can leave new life up there, by the way, too. Most of the time, that is still going to be a church in decline. Plateaued or declined. Because why does a church exist? For God's glory, with his mission, and in his power. New life. New life is people who have never had any encounter with him necessarily, any exposure to church, gospel, any of that, coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is what's vital to that second half of this graph that was positive. In fact, a noted missiologist from the States, he was a professor at a place called Fuller Seminary, said this about new life growth. And what we call this is conversion growth. If you have biological growth, transfer growth, this is conversion growth. This is new life, growing with new life. He says this, you can put this quote up, guys. Conversion, this kind of growth, is the only kind of growth by which the good news of salvation can spread to all segments of society and to earth's remotest bounds. The Great Commission, where we said, Jesus has said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He says that Great Commission requires enormous Conversion growth. Conversion growth is how the gospel, how the church on the move grows in new life. And if we think of church as a movement, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks, this is the foundational characteristic of our understanding of church. And movement entails growth. Deepening growth, but then also conversion growth. Numerical growth through conversion growth. If you look at the second half of your, your page, if you flip that over, it says that, uh, I have a, a statement there, that the growth and development of the church, as we've been looking at it in the book of Acts, we're going to take another look at that tonight. As it's pre presented there, it shows the impact of the gospel message extending. That idea of expanding growth. There's also deepening growth, but there is clearly the impact of the gospel message extending and expanding to new places, to new people, with conversion growth being essential in that process. And what I'm going to do just for the next few minutes, and I hope, I hope this doesn't seem too laborious, is walk through some, some verses. If you could put the next one up, guys. Um, we, we've looked at this before, Acts chapter 1 at the beginning of Acts, and I'm just going to walk through and show how there is this thread that goes all through Acts of this expanding and extending dynamic happening. It says, They, the disciples, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power... We talked about that in the last few weeks. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as you walk, start walking through the book of Acts, you see that progression happening. Where things, if you go back to that, that slide there, guys. Jerusalem, 
And then it's going to go to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And all along, you're going to see some recurring themes. So if you go to the next one, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Later on, it says he added to their number daily those who were being saved. Go to the next one, Acts chapter 4. Verse 4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. Go to the next slide. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. When we get to chapter 8, all of this was happening in, Jude, in Jerusalem. We get to chapter 8 and a persecution comes and they go to Judea and Samaria. So look at chapter, oh, don't have chapter 8, but that's what happens there. All right. And it says... The Lord's hand was with them as they were scattered by that persecution. A great number, number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, in uh, Acts chapter 11, I would encourage you just to turn there if you would really quick. Because we're going to spend a little more time in Acts chapter 11 here. In this season where it's been going outside of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, the th things started to expand and there was ministry in this place called Antioch. And it says, now those um, who were in Antioch, it says that, um, I'm not sure if I have the right verse up here, I'm, I apologize. I'll read it. Um, Okay, yeah, here we are. They went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. So things have moved from strictly pretty much Jews in Jerusalem. It's going now to, uh, to the Gentile people. It says, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And the Lord also, if you go on through that passage again, it says the same thing. And what's interesting about this particular church is from this point, this becomes like a hub this becomes like a church that starts sending out influence elsewhere. So it goes from Jerusalem, the influence goes to Judea and Samaria. Here it is, this church in Antioch, and from there it springs out again to a whole new ring of, of influence. It's extending, it's expanding. If you get to Acts chapter 12, verse 24, as this progression is happening, it says the word of God to continued to spread and flourish, chapter 13, verse 48. I believe I have that one there for you guys to see too. If you go to the next slide. Oh, I don't have that one. But they preached the gospel in that city. And it says they won a large number of disciples. So what was the point of all that? To show you that quality and that characteristic. That there was an extension and expansion that was God ordained that was happening. Yes, it was a particular time in history. But it, it was the start of something that was setting something as a pattern for what was meant to come. Jesus said, I will build my church. We would not be here in this room tonight if that pattern of extending and expanding stopped with them. That is the, the nature of what movement, what church is about. And as we come to Acts chapter 16, which is where we're going to stop, so don't worry, I'm not taking us all the way through Acts tonight, okay? But as we come to Acts chapter uh, 16, we are introduced to the first European converts to Christ. And as we think about how everything has been extending and expanding to this point, we're introduced in this passage to three individuals. So everything's kind of been big, big, broad movements to this point. But here are three individuals, and they each took a very different path to being encountered with the gospel. Very different. And so when we as a church and as individual followers of Jesus who are a part of this church, if we are a part of this church, think about the idea that we're to be a, a people and a place through whom God is on the move, we need to understand part of that means, yes, we need to have a deepening faith, but the flip side of that coin is God wants to bring more people into this experience of blessing through his son, and we're part of that process. And as we think about how that works, 
as we look out at the world around us and we think of our network of friends and different things, everybody has different entry points and different journeys and paths to the same Savior that we are meant to be introducing them to. So as we come to Acts chapter 16, if you guys could go uh, to the next slide, please. This recounts um, Paul as they're going, and um, Paul and Barnabas go to share the go- or Paul and Timothy go to share the gospel here. And it says they were prevented from spreading the gospel continually in Asia, Turkey, Asia Minor. And through a dream that God, they had understood that God was calling them to go to now what is mainland Europe. And when they come to a place called Philippi, it says on the Sabbath, they, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lydia is the first person we meet. And she is what we would call a religious, successful businesswoman. Why did I label her her that way? Well, one, the the successful businesswoman comes from, she's a dealer in purple cloth. And later on, we're going to find that she has a household big enough to invite them all back and Later on, she actually ends up hosting uh, ministry things at her home. But it says she was a worshiper of God. And that's what's important for us to be thinking about here tonight. When we think about the different ways uh, people come to encounter the gospel and perhaps respond to, to Jesus. And Lydia, as a worshiper of God, it's, this is a specific term. And what it means is she was a, a Gentile person who had become somewhat uh, engaged and attached with the God of Israel. And a place of prayer by the river was a common cultural thing where they would gather. And, and this is a place where you would expect to find somebody who was open to listen. And as you read this story, it says, you know, that um, the Lord opened her heart. Uh, to respond to Paul's message, um, you can kind of have an understanding. I think it's the next slide, guys, where there's two circles. Yeah. It kind of feels like this is how this passage breaks down, isn't it? They kind of go to this place of prayer, and there's this lady, Lydia, there, and she hears the gospel message, and isn't it great? Saving faith is what comes next. And in a sense, this is, this is an accurate portrayal. But what we don't get to see in this passage is something that looks more like this. Could you put the next slide up? And that is, but she was a worshiper of God. What are the things in her life that led to that point? She wasn't naturally a part of of Israel. She wasn't a part of that. She had to have some interactions. She had to have some conversations. She had to have some experiences. She had to have some intersections along the way so that when the gospel message landed, it it came in the context of a whole series of conversations, experiences, uh, different things. And so if we think about people's journeys in this way and you think about someone who is open to listen to the gospel message. Some people are there. Some people really are there. And the the next thing we need to think about is perhaps uh, an invitation to an environment where they can hear about Jesus. Um, Interestingly, in a similar survey about how people who are in the United Kingdom who are new and have come to faith. It happened earlier in the 2000s, but I'm sure it still plays out because it's similar in the States in the same time period. So I think it's something universal in this. Um, What are the factors that contributed to people's journey in this way? Number one, almost consistently, is as a child, I had exposure to the gospel, to the church. Which again is just, as we think about some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight, um, if we think about all these things as moving pieces as part of a machine that contribute to what God uses to bring about growth, um, 
interacting with children and young people, like through our youth works, about who Jesus is and why he's come is absolutely massive. Uh, Another factor, though, and some of this you could probably deduce, relationship. Somebody knew a follower of Jesus. Most importantly, though, in that relationship with the follower of Jesus, there was an invitation. I think it was somewhere near 90% of UK adults who had responded positively to Jesus. Part of their journey was a Christian was in relationship with them and invited them. So as we think about this, and if we consider that people are on a bit of a journey like this, and there are people like Lydia, (laughs) and we think about what their journey might look like, could I challenge us to think about, particularly over the next two months as a point of application, of the urgency of inviting people to whatever the next step is in that journey. Because in this journey... Perhaps there's something as simple as um, if it's an invitation to come and see of building relationship with people. You know, if we think about what we're doing over Christmas as a church, we have a Christmas community day, right? And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, there's not going to be any preaching going on. So really, how gospel-oriented is it? Well, there's not going to be, you know, but maybe the next thing that moves the needle is they just get to be rubbing shoulders with Christians, spending time with them. Because for people who've had very little experience of Jesus, of church, to jump in on a Sunday morning may be like, I wish I could put that Monsters, Inc. thing back up. <laughs> that's, that's scary. That's weird. What do they do? Like what? And to come and see, you know, these, these people are nice. And again, this isn't to say we somehow are moving the needle, but at the same time, we believe that it's God who opens the heart, as he did with Lydia. But he does that using human means. Remember, we, there's this tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And sometimes the thing that starts this journey is that community building thing. I used to be in youth ministry years ago. I started off in youth ministry and I used to tell people, I used to get flack sometimes because I take kids to an amusement park. And that was it. I remember a parent telling me, you didn't do a devotional? No. You didn't pray? No. Well, how can that be a church event? Because I got to find out more about your kid in one afternoon than I ever would have in a, in a youth Bible study. I found out what really makes his heart tick. I found out what the barriers to the gospel really are. Beyond that, they got to understand that somebody cares about them and loves them in Jesus' name. So stuff like community Christmas days that we're going to be doing here at the center, hugely important. Be thinking about who you can be inviting to those things. But then, you know, maybe the next thing is, don't you love it when you're I don't see this here much. In the States, they have these, like, samples of food you can buy in the grocery store. I don't see it as common here. I could, like, get lunch if I went to the supermarket at the right time and just hit all the samples, right? But what's the idea of a sample? To give you a taste of something so that you're like, hey, that's pretty good. I need... There are moments where we just can have things here at church, which we do. Hogtober was kind of like one of them. Carol services are are similar, though maybe a little bit more in-depth. But these are things where people can come here and sing songs that they know, and then we can sow the thought for the real truth about the gospel, about Jesus, about Christmas. These gospel tastes are things, and these are all opportunities as we think about who are the people who are open to listen. That the next step with them may be just an invitation to a next step. And could I encourage you? I mentioned this uh, Tuesday evening when I led in prayer meeting. And I mentioned how there was some people that I invited to Hogtober who didn't come. And while I was disappointed that some of my friends didn't come, and that's how I consider them friends. They're not projects. They're people I care about. 
I want them to hear about Jesus. But every invite is a good invite, whether people say yes or not. Why? Because people know you care about them if you say, I want you to be a part of this. It's so essential. And then there's also that progression, as you think about this, of getting someone to there, of saying, well, hey, if you've had a taste of that, would you like it explained more? These are all things we kind of do, but I want us to be thinking of them together to make sure we can be pulling all these pieces together, saying we exist, we're here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. These are the parts we have spinning here, and if we can pull them all together for maximum impact, how exciting that could be to see God on the move among us with these almost too good to be true courses and other uh, things that we have happening. To the point... Where if somebody does show up on a Sunday morning, have you noticed how we started thinking and talking a little bit differently? And I want to continue to praise, to lavish praise on this group because Ben was mentioning over the last few weeks in terms of saying if we are inviting people to that next step and understanding coming here to worship for a person who's been far not connected with with God in any way just showing up is a high stress thing to have a car park that says it's not full and there's a place for you and a room that you walk into and you don't have to do the march of shame all the way to the front and feel like everyone's looking at you that that's continued over the last few weeks. And could I say, just, just keep that up. Um, but there's also some, some ideas about notices and different things. And this whole idea that if we're going to be good hosts, like if you have someone over to your house, you know, you always let them know, you know, the toilet's this way and that's that way. And, you know, that door, you have to like kick it to make it open. You kind of help them feel, feel comfortable interesting is we've talked about we want to make sure we're engaging people in a way that's accessible and a lot of what um, we've been talking about what you hear on Sunday morning and notices and stuff um, Tim Keller talks about who passed and Mike has mentioned Tim Keller but also a very respected uh, church leader in British, British circles Ray Evans some of you know Ray Evans from uh, Grace Community Church in Bedford and he talks about how important it is to make things accessible to people. And so when Ben has shared how, you know, we're, we're trying to hone our language sometimes to, to help the person who's new feel like they belong. So he writes this, Ray Evans. So gone are the in-house notices that alienate new people by proclaiming today's group is not at Jill and John's. So if you're not from that church, what's the first thing you're saying? Who are Jill and John? <laughs> but is now at Pete and Penelope's which actually communicates to newcomers, you don't know what and who I am talking about because you don't belong. Instead, if we're thinking about helping people along in this, he says there's a constant sense of try to hear how this would sound if you were listening for the first few times yourself. To think through everything and, and process everything through that grid because there are people in our spheres who will come and see. They're open to listen. We just got to invite them. And sometimes they'll say no. Many times. But it's all part of this to that point where some will say yes. And we'll leave that up to the Lord. The second person we meet, so Lydia is one, and I guess I could just say as a takeaway, as I said already, I just want to not lose this. Don't miss this opportunity this season when people really are open to a come and see, to invite them to come and see. Second thing, there's this demon-possessed slave girl. So talk about two totally different people. As we go through Acts chapter 16, we read about Lydia's conversion. But as you come then uh, to Acts chapter 16, we'll pick it up at uh, verse 12. No, I'm sorry. We'll pick it up at verse, uh, yeah, verse, verse, yeah, we'll pick it up at verse 16. So again, it says, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you how to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Let's just stop there. Um, Talk about somebody who is completely different and polar opposite to Lydia. Lydia, religious, successful person, um, religious in the sense that to the point where she was open to hearing, inviting. This demon-possessed slave girl is someone that has experienced very different circumstances in life. And she's been exploited. She's a slave financially. She is a slave um, spiritually. Um, She's being used by her owners. Um, But isn't it interesting that in that state, she is following around um, Paul and his entourage, proclaiming these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I think, not to say necessarily um, that that if we project this onto our community at large, that we're talking about a demon-possessed person, but what I am saying is, is, There are people um, whose circumstances in life are so challenging and traumatic and exploitive that an invitation to come and see is probably not going to go anywhere. But an expression of caring and serving them in Jesus' name, acts of kindness, if you will, reaching them at their point of need. Because what follows, if you go to the next slide, uh, it's kind of funny when I read it. It says, finally, Paul became so annoyed, right? But even in that annoyance, he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. And if we lay that experience over when we look at the gospels, this was a moment where this young woman was set free. She went from one master to another. It is an implication, it's implied that she had moved from one kingdom to another. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so this is the type of person that needs to be sought after. That needs to be loved and cared for. The kind of person, if you you will, that might say, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. Because there's the trauma that needs to be loved through. And there's aspects of that. When we look for this place, and I I keep saying this because I want to say as I look at all this, I'm so encouraged when I think about the life of our church. Because there's lots of these pieces at play and have been at play for many years. Of loving people in our community. Different things that happen throughout the week that as particularly those of us who work here get to hear stories of where God is on the move and is loving people in our community and is bringing people to us that we can love in Jesus' name, whether that's helping people in times of grief and loss or addiction or any number of things. But the interesting thing is if we think about that progression again, is how do all these pieces work together as constructively as possible so that we can see God growing in in different ways. We have lots of different ministries here. And again, I just want to read a quote from Rayevin's book about what it means to care and serve people. It means we do it for anybody and everybody, not as a project, but because it's a part of being a follower of Jesus. It's his heart. We love people. And we work deliberately to help them, believing that God may use this to set up a context in which a spiritual journey can begin. And trusting that for some, it will lead to conversion in a way forward to reach a different set of people. It's kind of like different access points to the same journey. And if you think about where people are on that that little pathway... And it's nothing like inspired or anything. It's just a way of helping us think about it. Perhaps if a person's need is met, someone sits with them in their loneliness or someone shares with them when their physical needs, 
that when an invitation comes to a community event or a ladies, a women's event, a men's event, um, there's a relational, remember that dynamic of relationship and invitation. When we meet someone at their point of need like that, it opens up. And what's interesting, I think, when this type of ministry happens in and through the life of any church, as needs start to be met in the community, guess what happens to the composition of the church? What ha- the group that's in here will look more like the group that's out there. As people begin to be loved, and there's an introduction to the difference maker and all of that, our Savior, King Jesus. That's why we're here, to invite those people into that same relationship. The diversity that's out there will be reflected in here. The composition of the neighborhoods out there will be reflected in this place. And so, without belaboring this too long, because there are ways in which we're doing this as a church, but if you, you personally, I wonder, again, as you think Think through people you know, people you live near, people you have contact with. It doesn't have to be something that's done through a ministry. But is there somebody you could simply love in Jesus' name who's hurting, who has need? Not simply, hey, come to my church event, which is great. That's necessary. We need that. But you go into their world and sit with them in their world for a bit like Jesus did for us, to help shepherd them into the life he has for them. Reach those people by meeting them at their point of need. So think of that person. Not only who can I invite, who can I love and serve and show acts of kindness to in Jesus' name and trust that he might open that up. There's one other person we meet, and we'll go through this quickly because we're running shorter on our time. Um, But as Paul casts the demon out of this girl, it causes a massive turmoil in this city. And Paul and his entourage are arrested. Paul and Silas, they're thrown into jail in Philippi after they've been stripped and beaten. And uh, they are locked up by a Philippian jailer there. If you guys go to the next, yeah, here we are. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. So after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stalks. Now, I was reading something this week that this Philippian jailer, this was, uh, so Rome, Philippi was a Roman colony. And uh, what uh, Rome would do was reward and give uh, positions to its soldiers and so this jailer in this particular colony was probably a retired soldier. So if you think about the different people we have here, we have a successful woman in business who's very open to the God of Israel, to, to, the, to the whole story of salvation coming through, coming through that. You have a, a demon-possessed, exploited girl. Here you have a hardened soldier. It's really interesting meeting soldiers from different parts of the world, for the most part. The soldiers I've met, I've met soldiers in South America, states, here, some places else. Um, One thing about military people, there's typically and usually, for better or ill, a very strong code of conduct. You know, even says here, like, uh, he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell. This is a guy who's seen a lot, a tough person. And uh, as things go about, there's an earthquake and uh, all the the cells are opened as we read in this passage. And then we come to this set of verses, if you put the next one up. When he woke up and he saw the prison doors open, see, this is what I mean by this code of conduct in his honor. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. This was his charge. He, he, you know, this is the type of guy we're dealing with here. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. So here you have this hardened guy 
who has probably taken many lives and experienced many different things, at this point, this point of God sovereignly putting him in a position where events have orchestrated and his two of his servants are right there, that he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This isn't just a person who's curious. He's desperate. He needs somebody to tell him. And they do. Next set of verses says this. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. This whole area of growth. This, this, uh, this expanding and influence of the gospel. They, they told him. They verbally communicated. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I wonder how intentionally we're looking for that opportunity. Because it's part of this extension and expanding mix as well. Looking for that opportunity. It's interesting when Jesus prayed for his disciples in that upper room discourse um, that we mentioned when he said, go bear much fruit. He prayed for them. And he said, remember he said, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. And as he was praying for them in John chapter 17, in fact, I'll, I'll turn there really quick so I make sure I get this right. But essentially he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the world. They're not of the world. He prays for them to be in the world, but kept from the influence and the attacks of the evil one. We can think of this situation in our lives through that matrix as well. You know, last Sunday, was last Sunday, wasn't it, when we had the Great Insight celebration here? And, and Trev was talking about, you know, we're living in the until he comes time, right? This is the time for gospel. This is the time for God to be on the move. This is the time for growth as he gives it. Until he comes. And until he comes, Jesus' prayer was not that he would just take us out of this world. Why? Because his plan is for through his people that he would be on the move to send his blessing for his glory on mission to take that to the, to the nations, to, to other people. We are meant to be mixed in. <laughs> You're the, we're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be in contact and when contact is made and the opportunity is there to be looking for it and to be ready and I think this is perhaps in my own life and probably in yours where as followers of Jesus we drop the ball the most because it's like the highest risk and um, it's, it's difficult but it's something we are commanded to do, to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us. While I can't go into a talk tonight about the way we should share the gospel and different things, there are different ways you can do it. But could I encourage you to do one thing this Christmas season in case someone does ask you for the reason for the hope that's within you as a follower of Jesus. Could you try writing down your story that you can share in one minute or less without using overly churchy words in a way that anybody could understand. When I was trying to, uh, to raise money for ministry at one point years ago, planting a church, I remember being told, you have to have an elevator speech. If you don't know what that means, what's a, a lift, a lift speech, right? There we go. You have to have a lift speech. It means in the course of time, when you take a lift from one floor to another, could you communicate what you are trying to do for a particular project succinctly so that anyone could understand whether they had technical knowledge or not. Maybe this week, just sit down. I'm going to do this and just say, if somebody says, you know, Steve, you go to that church. Why do you go there? I had a conversation with somebody by a football pitch recently. They're like, you're really religious, aren't you? Maybe you get that one, Right. Now, that was one I could have handled a little bit better. It was kind of an awkward moment. But, but, but when those moments come, to say, you know, I'm not religious. Actually, Jesus 
made a massive difference in my life. Could I just tell you about that really quick? And to be able to do that really naturally, without overly churchy words like we use in Crosslands, justification, sanctification, all this other stuff. This, this hardened soldier needed somebody to tell him the way to be saved, and they were ready. So when we think about the idea of movement, what we've been talking about, God on the move, that he brings growth, that he brings growth into our lives, but also he wants to bring more people in. And he uses us. He uses our invitation. He uses our acts of kindness. And he uses us opening our mouths and sharing so that more people can come and know him. So as his people and as we have this season ahead of us, Let's pray that God would bring in a harvest. Let's pray that God would use us because he is on the move. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight and uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, for the different ways in which people have come to a point of encountering it. If we were to share our stories in this room, they would all be varied, but they would all have one thing in common, and that's you and the cross, your grace and your mercy. But for some of us, that was a meandering, difficult path. For others, they were born into a Christian home. There are stories, perhaps, of brokenness and rebellion, of healing, freedom, invitations, relationship, children's ministries, all these different things. God, give us eyes to see the different ways people can have that invitation to a next step. Give us eyes to see people who would come and see, who are open. Give us eyes to see where there is an opportunity just to love people in your name. And if you choose to bring an opportunity for the gospel in that and in a journey's beginning, so be it. And Father, help us to think just how we could share our own personal story, if nothing else, in clear language that anybody could understand. Father, our heart's desire is that there would be growth in this place, not for the sake of numbers, but for your glory. And because your heart is a heart of blessing to all people. And so help us that we might truly be here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with you, King Jesus. We ask your blessing in this, your strength, and for your power to be at work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.